Welcome everybody to the Elemental Awakening Podcast. I have a special guest today. His name is Aaron. What's your last name again? Fisher. Fisher. Aaron <laughs> Fisher. Aaron Fisher. Um, I met him actually here at Elemental. He, he rolled in one day and uh, right off the bat we became friends. He's a really interesting guy. So we're going to talk a bit about his story, what he's up to, um, and we'll just go from there. So um, thanks for coming today, Aaron. And uh, yeah. Yeah, thanks for having me. Man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's great to see you back. I know you travel a lot, but... Just let's let's start off. You know, tell us a bit about your story. You know, like um, who you are, what you do, how you got to where you are today. Uh, it's a big story. <laughs> um, I, you know what? I, where do you even begin with something like that? Um, my story, let's say, would have to start with the whole educational system, being in school. Acting one way, teachers telling you that that's not the correct way to be, being put into so many different forms of constructs of how you should act. Like, For example, I didn't know that I was dyslexic growing up from school, so the teachers would ask me to get up and read, and I would, but my mind would create other words, and other words would move, and they would label me as a class clown. So even at a very young age, I kept on getting put with labels from teachers and other people and these, were, these labels became my reality, that I actually became my identity, only to realize later on that these were just perceptions of what they thought mm-hmm. I was, not who I was. So it's really interesting that I spent a lot of my youth being something that I didn't think I was because other people thought that's exactly who I was. Interesting. You know, and then trying to fit into that. It's almost like the Einstein theory that if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree or think it's stupid its whole life. Mm-hmm. Nobody was ever asking me why I read a certain way. They were just taking me out of water and saying, well, you, why can't you climb the tree this way? Mm-hmm. So through that, I was always very interesting in life. I, I had an interesting, I got in trouble with the law. I, I played around with psychedelics. Um, I got into a whole bunch of stuff. I actually ended up going to another country for a, to boarding school, I got kicked out of the province for education. <laughs> I know I got back into it, and then um, got everything. I just started. I said, you know what? By doing things everybody else's way, I haven't been achieving anything that I want to. So why don't I just do it my way? Because what else can happen from this situation? Got my things together, and then uh, I did what any normal person would do. I jumped on a plane and went to China for nine years. Okay. <laughs> So, grew up your whole life in, in Toronto, or? So, Toronto-ish, outside skirts of it, so Thornhill area. Okay, yeah. and then, so that's a big move, moving to China for nine years. Tell me, tell me about what, what inspired that, and was there like a culture shock when you got there? Or? So, what inspires me is, so, I gave you like a, a really brief idea of identity and uh, the, the ideas of labels and whatnot growing up, and what came to it was, I graduated high school, something that people didn't think I'd be able to do. And then I ended up going to college and then I actually did, I actually did really well in college. I, people paid me to do their assignments for them. So this is like a very switch. So going from one extreme to a next extreme. And then I graduated and I looked around and I said, okay, so what's everybody doing? They're gonna get a job, probably start a company, get married, get property, but I'm only 22. I plan on living past 70. I don't even know who the hell I am. So what better place to go than to China, where everything's completely different? Different culture, different language, different everything. So when I jumped on the plane, it's- Did you know what you were gonna do when you got there or you just said, I'm just gonna go and figure it out? So I did, uh, I sent sent my resume to um, Spain, Italy, and Greece because I wanted, you know, best thing to do is be a teacher. They allow everybody to be teachers. Spain, Italy, and Greece said no. China's like, come, 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 come. So I'm like, you know what? Why not? The universe sort of directed you into that way. You know, I'm like, I'm gonna read the signs. And so I got on the plane, I, I landed in a city called Nanjing, and the second I got off, I felt like I was at home. I felt this is where I belong. It so was, what does that feel like? Like, like? like, what does that even mean? Like, you felt like you were at home. You got off, a, like, what is that? Can you try to describe that better? Because people listening might not understand. The idea was, from what I was talking about before, is I felt for the majority of my life, I was trying to fit in. Fitting in takes a lot of energy. 
But when you find a place where you belong, you're just you. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you can breathe without trying to think of... felt it. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting when you start like um, listening to your feelings or feeling your feelings rather than trying to suppress them because the mind is so overactive. You know, I think it takes a lot of like rebalancing, but sometimes you have these experiences where like, you're like, oh my God, what's that feeling? You know, it's sometimes it's very new. Like for me, like a lot of times, the first few times I had like ayahuasca experiences mm-hmm. or I'm doing breath work for the first time, having like one of those experiences, you just, the feelings are so like uh, amplified and you're just like, oh wow, you know, like there's something there I'm, I'm really not paying attention to. And I think it's the hustle and bustle of everyday life drinking so much coffee, stimulants, so much distraction, it numbs your ability to feel a lot of times. Or you're just, you're feeling, but you're not aware, like, cause you're so distracted. When you start meditating or when you get out to like rural China, I guess like right away, you're just like, whew. It makes a big, big difference. And what you were saying, it's, it's also the fact that when we're growing up as children, our parents, our teachers, everybody's giving us permission. But at one point in our life, we forget to give ourselves permission. And we forget to understand that it's okay to feel, to be how we internally want, not how externally the media, the parents and everybody saying it because, you know, you grow up to an age and you realize that nobody really has a clue of what's going on and people are just making up as it go. Mm -hmm. But when you actually give yourself permission and meditate and take a moment to, to focus on, it's amazing. So being in China, it was just like, whew, everything's gone. Now I have to start all new. And I'm like, but I'm not starting new. I, I, I didn't realize that internally we actually do have a foundation that we don't even realize is there until we go and put ourselves in a whole new situation. That's why I believe travel is the best. So tell me about uh, your experience in China. How did that change your life? Like what are the, some of the things you've learned over <sighs> nine years? Anything, what was like the first realization? So I walked into my class as, uh, so I was the, at the age of 22, I was a professor of business at a university. Okay. <laughs> They're very big on titles there. Um, I'll be honest, I got it because I spoke English and because I was white. Hands down why I got it. That's why a lot of us, a lot of people were getting jobs at that time because that's what they wanted for face. Anyways, so I walked in, I have my suit on and I'm like, okay, so I'm uh, the professor. So I walk in and I'm speaking and nobody has a clue what I'm saying. And I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? And they're all looking at me like, who the hell is this guy? And I like walked out of the class and I'm like, you know what? This is not for me. I'm done. I can't do this. What am I doing? And then I just said, why do you care? Do you care? It's like, why do you care about this? Like, do you really care about what you're doing? Do you really care about what you like making a difference? And I'm like, so now you have a challenge and you're going to run back. So I got into the class the next day and instead of, it's the philosophy in life, instead of telling, I started asking. Mm. I created space. The thing is they didn't have confidence in me because they didn't know who I was yet. And the more confidence I built up in the classroom, the more it engaged in language, the more it engaged in uh, interaction, the more it engaged in everything else. And I loved it. So did you have any business experience at the age of 22? So I started a company before I went to, I started a few companies. So I had Quick Ad Promotional Advertising, which was an advertising company. I, before that, there was Ground Level Clothing, which was an urban clothing company that we started also. Um, so I did have some kinds of business experience. So do you give yourself a title these days? Are you like something or just a serial entrepreneur? I'm whatever people need me to be so we can have a conversation sometimes. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's why I love our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it's like if I, if, so I can be a co-founder, I, I can, but I'm just, honestly, I'm just somebody that's just everyday learning. Was it hard to learn a language? Like, did you know any Chinese? Was it Mandarin, Cantonese, Mandarin? Mandarin. So I had... That was like, in university, I had a bunch of Chinese friends and they were like always trying to teach me how to speak. It's like, oh, it's amazing when, when a white guy can just walk into a room and like, it's so impressive. So like, basically I just said like, do you speak, I, I can barely speak uh, Chinese, but I speak a little bit of English. So <laughs> way to go. Yeah. So I, I, I started off as, as a teacher, but then I got into private education and then that's when I started to get into consulting. And at the age of 22, I walked into Siemens, um, <laughs> into a consulting job where I had the CEOs and like the top-notch people of this company. And I walked in 
And like, I've always wanted to be a consultant. That was my thing. I, I've always wanted to be able to, to give because being an entrepreneur and mom and pop entrepreneur, seeing my parents struggle and seeing them, if I could do anything to give somebody just that simple perspective that they're missing, I would do it. Anyway, so I walk in and I have my suit on. And um, I'm in there and I'm giving the presentation of my life and I'm talking, I'm talking, I'm talking, and I'm saying all this stuff. And uh, I walk out and there's something called presentation sensation. You just feel like you're walking on clouds. And I'm like, I did it. I went out and I celebrated with my friends. And uh, the next week, my uh, company that I was working for, they gave me um, they gave me the review, and the review said, who the hell was he? Please don't ever send him back. <laughs> <laughs> I went in there thinking that, and we had a conversation prior to this, but I went in there thinking that, okay, they're hiring me because I know everything. I, am, I have all the answers. Instead of the fact that they actually hired me to ask questions to find out what the issue is. It's not about telling, it's about listening. You know, when you're talking about coaching. Well, that's what, that was my big uh, aha moment learning about becoming a like, life coach, executive coach. Like, I thought I was going to learn all these skills on how to tell people, like how to teach people things. But really, it was learning how to create space, how to let them, you know, invite them to ask questions that they might not be seeing because they're so in something. Like, you're in your life or you're in this business, you're in this job, and you can't see the outside world. So you start really, really drilling down, like asking them, you know, what are your biggest challenges? Okay, why are they challenging you? And yeah. what are your... What, what would be the first few things you can do? And then creating a plan to implement. So it was basically them doing 75 to 80% of the talking, me doing 20, 25%. But me, for my job was really just to listen, really listen, which was something that I was learning to do because I always talk because, you know, growing up I was a smart kid, thought I knew it all. It was a big shift for, my, for me, yeah. which I really enjoyed learning about. And um, asking the right questions, listening and just asking and really provoking them to really dig deeper and think more. And it's so valuable because everyone wants to talk, but there's a saying, you know, you have one mouth and two ears. You're supposed to listen twice as much as you talk, exactly. right? Exactly. Uh, and I love that. Uh, and uh, I'm trying to adopt that more. So please, talk some more. <laughs> I will. And it, just a, a little sidetrack, what I've noticed today in society is most people are half listening because they want to respond with something about themselves. Yeah. There's the, the communication, it's... it's it's crazy, like, I, I, I'm sitting in these situations where, you know, uh, even my partner, she picked it up as well, like, people are sitting in a room, and they're having a conversation, but they're not talking at all, and they're not listening at all, and then everybody walks out being like, hmm, I wonder if my point was made, or like, it's almost like they're, they're trying to think about, like, I wonder what they think about me now, but like, mm -hmm. nobody was, no, nothing was said, there, yeah. there was no communication, like, I've, I've sat there, and I'm like, you guys have been speaking for an hour, and I guarantee if I asked you a question about one, one or the other, you guys would have no clue because you're so into you. Yeah. But I, I made that mistake once. I really uh, had a meeting with a really like prominent guy in the business world. Like he was a billionaire, like, like literally. And here we are, these three young kids just, just like wouldn't shut up about all the things we wanted to do, trying to impress him, thinking like he might invest in us or like, you know, and then after in retrospect, you know, getting some feedback, like, a, people like that don't like, they want to control the conversation most of the time because of whatever reason. Um, but B, I should have been listening to him even just to learn, like like abstract as much information, really listen, I just ask him questions rather than me trying to talk and impress. 100%. And like, like, like then it was like a big shift in conscious, like, oh wow, you know, like where else do I do that? Because you can learn from anyone, not just a, someone who's a billionaire because like that was at that time in my life, I found that really like sparkly and like attractive to me. Um, but like I even find myself learning from my kids, like just observing oh, wow. and you're asking them questions. Sure, like, like, for sure. Like the people in my life. Like one thing I started doing was like the people who triggered me the most. I wanted to pay more attention to them to see why it was triggering me. So people on social media, people that were in, in my circles, that was like for some reason they, they upset me or things they've said was like make me nervous or so I was like okay instead of just like really trying to like push those people away, let me try to like really see. Is that something that I'm doing that's making me bad that I'm not seeing or like what is it? So you can learn from anyone and anybody, but um, I fully agree with you. Listen more <laughs> and talk. So tell me more. So so you're in China. You're you're, you're finding your way. So I ended up doing the consultancy and then um, I ended up changing cities and I ended up working in a consulting company, a proper one that I wanted to. And I, I you know, I went to Microsoft, Yahoo. I went to all these companies. 
quick story about Yahoo. Yahoo, because I moved to a new city. I was broke. I had nothing. Yahoo, if you're listening, thank you so much. You fed me for a while. So I would go into Yahoo, and they had vending machines that were free. So every time I'd go there, I'm like, I had my meal for the week, which was great. But I started consulting. I started working on this, and I started getting like, oh man, it was it was it was amazing working with these companies and getting mentored and learning. But the company I was working for, at the time, they were going bankrupt, and I didn't know. And they literally said to me, they say, "Hey, Aaron." Um, we don't have enough money to pay you your full salary this month. And that's a red flag where I should, I should leave or do something. I'm like, I don't care. I love this too much. You, don't, you guys pay me when you can. Three months into it, they're like, sorry, we're bankrupt. That company went bankrupt. And um, I would have I stayed there. This is just what I love to do. I ended up going into an international real estate company. Um, <laughs> I don't even know how they hired me. But they did hire me, and I ended up working there. It was funny because the first interview was, I was. Uh, this is when I used to drink. But after that company fell apart, I drank. Sent resumes. I don't even remember who I sent it to. The next day, I get a, I get a message from this company. The script's like, I need you to come in. I'd like to see you. I'm like, sure, no problem. I put on my suit once again. Me in those suits, and I'm in China. And like at the time, I'm overweight and I'm sweating and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And I go into this beautiful office. And I'm sitting down and this lady's talking to me and I'm shaking around my cup and she's like, she puts her hand on mine. She's like, stop that. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. And she she keeps going and once again, I wasn't listening. I was like, I feel way hungover today. She's like, so you have the job. I'm like, oh, amazing. Thank you. I'm like, so. What is it that we, we do? She's like, haven't you been listening? I'm like, I have been, but I would like you to tell me again. And the next day I go to, I go to a job, and this is the thing, these are the mantras that, that you learn. I go to work putting on a suit, and I'm like, my mantra was, they're gonna find out who I am, I'm gonna get fired. They're gonna find out who I am, I'm gonna get fired. I'm projecting that. That was my mantra. So no matter what I did, that's what happened. Eventually, six months later, they found out who I was, and I got fired. So I'm, I'm now in this place where I'm like, okay, the dream job I had went bankrupt. I, I'm now in, in this company and I got fired. Like, what, who am I? Like, what am I doing with myself? What am I doing with my life? Well, something that I was doing was my friend had a program where we'd have kids from, he would run this and I helped facilitate, kids from primary school to, to university, they would come into a university and they would rent out the university for Eight, eight weeks, and we do one week intensive camps. In those camps, I would give motivational speeches, inspirational lectures, um, and we'd create workshops, and we based it on, we used a meter stick of language. So we said it in English, but our, our goal was not to teach them English. Our goal was to, to build confidence. But in China, you can't be like, we're here to build confidence. So what we said is, it's an English camp. And the way that we knew it was working was from the day that they came in to the day that it left, if they spoke more of a language, it didn't even matter if they made sense with it. If they just wanted to speak more, we were making a difference. Mm -hmm. And every time we'd finish a camp, I would put these uh, letters on the wall and I would put these notes in it. And uh, sorry, I put letters on the wall and the kids at the end would write notes and they put it in. And I was the teacher and they, they gave me a lot of notes. And I would read them and it'd say, you're my idol, you're my inspiration. You know, and at that time, I felt like I was somebody who wrote a book on how to make a million dollars, and I had no money in my bank account. Mm -hmm. I felt like a phony. But if these kids saw something in me that I didn't see in myself, maybe they, maybe they know something I don't. So I had no job. I had nothing to do. Packed my bag and just went traveling, uh, just started traveling China. I was 230 pounds at the time. In about a month and a half, I lost over 40 pounds. Oh, wow. Because it's not weight that we hold on to, it's emotions. I was holding on to way too many emotions. And when you're an emotional eater, your body can't digest things properly. And I took a lot of pictures and I just felt, I felt amazing. I felt I came back with a purpose. Was there like an awakening moment? Was there something you realized that created that shift? Like what, what, do you, do you remember something specific that? So during that whole thing, I had to, 
I dealt with myself in one of the best ways I could. Every time my brain would say, you can't do it, I would challenge it. So for example, I walked up to this mountain and I could take the chairlift, I can go any way, I, any easy route that I can possibly do it, but I stood in front of it and it's like, Aaron, what are you doing? I can't do this, just give up. And all these voices of doubts kept on coming in my head. And the one thing was, I'm like, okay, if I tell you guys to be quiet, you're louder. If I try to ignore you, you come back. Everything I try to do against you, you gain more power. I'm just gonna do it anyways. So I climbed the mountain, voice got quieter, climbed five mountains, went on a 65K bike ride, and the voice kept on getting quieter. And I realized that that voice, our body wants to do two things. Survive, doesn't mean thrive, survive and reproduce. Those are the only two things. And what happened is in these scenarios is I created a safety mechanism. So every time I got close to something, my body's like, whoa, you're trying to do something else? Danger, danger, danger. So we're gonna stop you because we want you to survive. But surviving wasn't thriving. Yeah, I was this conversation the other day that even if you're in a painful place, but you're alive, your brain is thinking, hey, we're okay here. Yeah. Let's not leave this because it could be worse somewhere else. You know, like you don't wanna die, we're surviving. And many people are barely surviving. They're just hanging on to life, but their brain is telling them like, hey, you know, um, don't change that dial. Don't move anywhere because we don't know what's what's uh, what's out there. What's what's could be way more dangerous or scary, but most of the time it's not. Most of the voice inside your head is just telling you a lie because it's trying to keep you safe. It's it's but it's very true. Like uh, abusive relationships and other things like that, our brains are rationalizing it. So you start um, realizing that the voice inside your head is not helping you. It's actually uh, against you. So we just. Talked a bit about that. So what happened next? So you start realizing that you have this awakening moment that you can do more than what your mind is telling you? Well, what happened in that situation is I started becoming aware that the fact that everything that my mind was telling me was based on the past, not in the present. So it's based on experiences and memories that were created in the past. But that means that currently in the present and I can create whatever I want to be whatever I need, to, whatever I desire to be in the future. So finished that, ended up uh, taking loads of pictures and I ended up um, wanting to give back to the kids because they did so much. So I met my Chinese friend and I showed her my pictures and she looked at them and she's like, oh my God, these are horrible. And I realized once again in that moment, it's just, she's sitting in front of me, but it's on my own self doubt looking at me again and being like, Aaron, you said you, you want to do a lot of things, but you haven't. What makes this time different than the other time? I'm like, you're right. I'm going to make it different than the other times. Got an art gallery, put my art on the walls, ended up opening up the awakening because at that point in time, that's kind of what I felt like I was waking up. And then I ended up going to the northwest of China to do, um, to do charity, not to make a charity, but to do charity. And the reason I say this is I didn't go there so they could rely on me. I went there so they could understand that everything they need was already there. So all I did, uh, what we did, the group that we went with, we found somebody in the, in the community, we modeled it, we showed them what somebody else is doing, and then we slowly stepped back to the point where we didn't exist anymore. Because to me, that's a charity. I didn't want to make a charity where they're like, okay, now we need more funds, now we need more pictures. That's not what it's about. We're teaching a community how to fish rather than supplying them with fish. Well, it's, it's an interesting saying, because there's a saying, if you give somebody a fish, they eat for a day. If you teach them a fish, they never go hungry again. But then there's a third principle. Oh, wow, okay. The third principle is this, do they even want a fish? That's the biggest problem. That's where a lot of cherries come in and they're like, You're, let us teach you all the things. And they're just like, but this is not what we want to know. But some people might be content with their simple life and you come in, let's bring them technology. Let's bring them the Western way of doing things. Mm -hmm. And then they get all these Western problems like depression, anxiety, all the stuff that comes along with consumption and consumerism. 100% man. It, 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 it's, <laughs> you're 100% right because that's what happens. It's like, you guys are missing all the things that we think we need in our society to make you happy. So we're going to give it to you. But when you went there, you found happiness for the first time because you left some yeah, exactly. stuff from over here. <laughs> exactly. So after that, um, I, my friend called me and he's like, my company's having a party. I'd like you to come. And I went there and 
I just shared who I was, what I was doing, and you know, just the joy. And the next week, the boss called me, said, I would like to have you come down for an interview. And then about two weeks later, I passed. He's like, I want you to work for our company. A month later, I was there getting my dream job as working as a, 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 a consultant for a multinational Fortune 500 company. And the thing is, this time I did it differently. Because this time when I went from Bangladesh and to other places, I didn't tell people, I listened to them. And it was about allowing people to feel seen, heard, so they can feel understood. Mm -hmm. Because nowadays, a lot of people don't. A lot of, like the problems that I saw in Fortune 500 companies was very simple. Me and you start a company, and then we rise to the top, and it's great, but we rise too fast, like the Icarus, don't fly too close to the sun. And then you forget that all the people that are in your company are people with families and needs. And then you're like, let's put in a thinking skills, but you don't know how they're thinking. You don't understand who these individuals are and you're trying to force them to be better versions of you, but you hide them, you hired them so they could be the best versions of themselves. So this is where the, the misunderstandings and the things in companies go, where I realized that allow people to feel like they're getting better at something that they have a purpose and there's the reason why am I coming here like what difference is I making and you you create the most amazing companies this is why delayering happened in a lot of companies but people were delaying because they thought okay we need less layers of communication no you just need better layers of communication mm -hmm. so then I yeah I enjoyed my time in China I got my dream job but the thing is it's like this your dream is just a goal. And once you reach it, it doesn't mean you're done. It means that now it's time to begin again. Mm -hmm. So I, I, left, I left China. I did everything that I wanted to do in my country. I, I hit my goal, hit my dream, and I moved back here. Nice. Yeah. So, um, so you're a bit of a serial entrepreneur. So you weren't really an entrepreneur then, but now you have these companies. Tell me a bit about like how that transitioned. You came back to Canada. And then you didn't want to work in the corporate world anymore and you wanted to work for yourself. Is that was sort of what happened? Yeah, the, the idea was, so making the transition, coming back to Canada, my, my dad's business partner came up to me and he's like, hey, listen, um, I have a material that has copper in it and it will help people. And I'm like, bullshit. So, because <laughs> it is, you know, it's like, oh, I can, it does all these amazing things. Sure it does. I'm like, give, give me the fabric. And I gave the fabric, I, I, we had sleeves and stuff and I gave it to a lot of people and they're just like, so what does it do? I'm like, I don't know. You tell me. I had a lot of people come back said, this, I feel better wearing it. People that said, I feel okay. And some people just said nothing. But nobody said, this hurts my body. I feel uncomfortable. So I'm like, I'm on board. Let's do this. So I came on and then we designed Copper 88. We came up with the company. And we designed the specs, um, redesigned it, came up with the specs and like, the cool thing about life is you take a thread and you turn it into a company. Mm -hmm. And the thing that we've been doing with it's been phenomenal. So when you talk about being a serial entrepreneur and things, what you start to enjoy is you're a father, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of what it is. It's like a newborn baby. A baby yeah. And you want to give it your all and you want to see it grow and you want, you're not, it's like the world's going to do a lot of things and say a lot of things to your child, but it's not about that. It's about, do you believe? Mm -hmm. So tell me about the copper. What's, what does the copper do? Does it do anything scientifically? Is there any secret behind it? So that's a very good question because I'm like, what does copper do? Uh, the same thing. I'm like, what does this all do? Well, I found out this, that copper is antimicrobial. And a copper in itself can protect you from a lot of the EMFs, like all the radiations and things like that. Also the fact that copper is an essential need within our body, but that's to intake it. Well, what happens if we keep it on the skin? Well, what we've done is we took it and there was MRSA. And what that is, is the flesh eating disease a lot of people get in hospitals. Well, we put that onto our fabric and within 24 hours, it killed 99.999% of it. Pretty amazing, right? Mm -hmm. So then we decided to see furthermore, and we found out that by keeping copper in, in the fabric, the UPF, we had 50 plus. So we're protecting you from the, UP, like from the UV rays and stuff. And it just went on and on and on. And, and the thing is we were doing test reports and we were checking it out. 
So we're like, okay, copper does this. So why put copper with compression? Compression to me is a psychological thing. So explain what compression is. So compression clothing actually helps compress your compress. body. Yeah, exactly what it sounds like. So the, co the company Copper 88 is a copper fabric compression fabric. Exactly. Okay. Copper compression fabric. 88 because we have 88% copper in all our goods. Okay. We're the only company. Heavy? Super light, man. Okay. But that's what you think. But it, it was the idea that we're, the, we're actually the only company in the world that has a patent on it. We're the only company in the world that can actually do what we can. Other companies, they use infused. We use embedded. Infused means you wash it, it's gone. You have nothing left. Embedded oh. stays. Embedded is part of the DNA. Does it like um, rust over time? Because I know copper roofs turn green. So ours, because it is in the fiber, it doesn't oxidize. Okay. So you're, you're good for life. Okay, so why copper and compression? So we found out the benefits of copper. Now the spiritual communities and all of them, um, and those ideas, they believe that copper is the metal that's the all-knowing metal, that keeps all information, it's all-knowing, all-healing, all, all that. I wish I could say that copper will heal everybody. I wish I could make that claim. I can't. All I know is people that have been wearing the product, we've had a lot of people say, this is an amazing stuff. That's what I can work on. I can do the test reports. Compression, to me, is a psychological thing. The reason why is because that when your body's injured, all of a sudden, it, it's like it closes down. Almost like if you're making fun of somebody, their body changes. But the second that you give it a hug and say, it's going to be all right, give it some compression, it says, okay, and it opens up. And that allows a lot of the healing process because when it closes, it pulls on everything else. Everything else has to comp um, compensate for it. But when you actually give it a hug, it says, okay, I'm fine. Like a baby in the womb. So you're doing some of the work for it, I guess. Exactly. It's, okay, interesting. It's the psychological signals that it sends I, I to your body. I love compression uh, socks. I only have one pair, but I definitely feel a difference when I put them on. I don't know if it's psychological because I'm thinking like these are different socks. I know the placebo effect is real because the mind is so powerful. So good. Um, but I can't wait to get loaded up with a bunch of your gear so I can wear it on the next podcast that I record. Um, so so you, you become a, an entrepreneur overnight, I guess. Uh, or no, you see a few businesses before, but now you're taking it more seriously. So what, what would you say is like the best advice you received when you've gone into your own business? Because you, you obviously, it's your dad's partner, so you got some, uh, some wisdom and, and years behind you. Like growing a business from scratch, like what's something that you wish someone told you or something that you got that you sort of advice that really helped you? Is there anything that stands out? It's just a really good question because the thing about going into the company was they said, here's fabric, you take over it, you create the company from it. Get out of your own way. That's what I would say. You don't know everything. So I would say it like this, a company is like sometimes like a child. We're so quick to give it a name and to tell it what it is, but a name comes with names and responsibilities and so much into it. And the reason I say this was this. We came up with Copper 88. We wanted to tell the market what it was. But the thing about starting a company is take time and be patient. Let the market tell you more about what it is to them. Learn what they want it for, what they need it for. You're not designing a brand for yourself. You're designing it for other individuals. So when you create a company, be open, be honest. I'm not, sorry, more be open. And be honest to, to, in the sense that take in the feedback from everybody. Listen to people. Have conversations. Sit down with people. Create a community. Because by doing that community of sitting down and talking to people and learning from them and them sharing their ideas of what it wants or what they think it is, when you start to really brand your, your, your product, well, guess what? You already have a community. Mm -hmm. So you ask for them. They, it's like you, you welcome them. They'll welcome you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The biggest problem with other companies is it's just like, no, this is my product. This is what it is. This is how it is. This is how it's supposed to sell. I watch Shark Tank where people are like, no, this is all my products. Like, that's okay for you. But the market is telling you something different. Why aren't you listening? Mm -hmm. Because you're, you're, you're in your own way. Absolutely. So, so, yes. Totally makes sense. Amazing. So, um, so that's doing well. Um, you're distributing all over the world now, or in many different countries, yeah. a lot of Canada. Um, so let's change gears a bit. I want to know a bit about ultra marathon running, how you got into that. You know? 
Um, it fascinates me. I ran a half marathon once. I couldn't walk for about a week after. I didn't really <laughs> train much for it, uh, but I got to the finish line. That was my goal. Uh, tell me, like, what, what's the whole thing with the, uh, the, the, the ultra marathon running? What, what? So this has to do with the, what we were talking about with the mountain. Um, and it also has to talk about the idea of belief systems and things that we have in place in our mind. So I used to smoke. And when you smoke for about 15 years, what happens is your lungs, when you quit, expand and they try to breathe. Well, what happened was there's so much tar and nicotine and everything that was just that it was ripping that it was forcing me to do two things. One, smoke a cigarette and ease the pain. Or two, find something to accelerate the healing process. So I started to run. I ran 100 meters um, and I was out of breath. And then 200, 300, and eventually I started actually going into more and more. And the thing about running is it's, it's, it's so amazing. One, they believe, the Native Americans believe that when you run, you're praying to the sky and the earth at the same time. But you're also really connecting with yourself. So yes, I do meditation in the morning and the night, but running was another form of meditation. Because everything in your mind is also going to say, okay, we have something new to stop you from. You can't do this. And I'm like, yes, I can. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to learn. So I did 5K and then 10K and then half and then a marathon. And then now the, uh, the ultra. And what I love... How of, far is the ultra? How many kilometers? So the last ultra I did was 52 kilometers. It was 13,000 feet of elevation, 16 obstacles. 60 obstacles. What's an obstacle? So it could be anywhere from monkey bars to rings to going into mud. Um, oh, okay. To doing all this. Okay, sounds it, like fun. It's, it's a, you know what? It, it's, it's, it's the community that makes it so good. Mm -hmm. And being out there and the one thing about humans is starting is the hardest thing. But once you start, you'll always win because you've learned. Mm -hmm. So, it's not whether you can run the 5K, you can't. It's getting up to the 5K and then learning everything that 5K is going to teach you. Because when you start, to when you, to when you start, the person you are, to when you cross that finish line, you're never the same. Mm -hmm. So every time I cross the finish line, I learn something new about myself again and again and again. And that's the idea is I don't know everything. So it's more than just an exercise. There's a, a lot that goes into these long distance runs. And it's the, it's, it's, if you want to talk about meditation, we talk about running where you're at the point where you're so focused for hours on end that you're literally in the state of flow like nothing else. And when you cross that line and then you click out and you take that breath, you kill. Runner's high. Yeah, talk about runner's high. What's, what's that all about? The runner's high is, it's, it's almost like the state of flow where you get, you're so connected into everything and you're so part of everything that you, it's not that, it's, it's the idea that you finally have found a moment where you've caught up with time. To me, that's what flow is. Mm -hmm. Flow is when you finally have caught up to your moment. And when you're running, that's where you're at. Mm -hmm. So that to me is the runner's high. It's that connectivity of being in equilibrium, of to be in that flow state where everything just, nothing else matters and everything just makes sense. Very cool. Yeah. Um, we didn't touch much on psychedelics, so, um, but I love always that topic as well. So you, you are um, a supporter of plant medicine. You've had a few journeys yourself, would you say? Yeah. So how did you how did you stumble across that? When, where, how? What, what was the calling like? I've always been a believer in um, the power of psychedelics. And you know what actually got me into it the first time was... Uh, <laughs> so in grade 9, a police came to our school and he opens up this briefcase. And he goes, here are all these drugs. This is what this drug does, this is what this drug does. And this is why you shouldn't do that. But what he didn't realize was all the kids in the audience were like, LSD, tell me a little more about that. <laughs> What's the street market? You know, it's just like, all right, street value is this. And, sh and shrooms, um, tell me more about that. Heroin, no, I'm good. Um, and they're just like, and the price? And the, and the cops, the cops is funny because like the cops like, yeah, uh, LSD is about $5 a hit and uh, shrooms are about $10 a gram, depending where you get it from. And we're like, yeah. We'll never do that. So like the next day, we're like, where did we get this? 
Because this, he's talking about this altered state and stuff like this. Well, what does that even mean? And as kids, you, you know, kids are very resourceful. See, that's the thing. It's like kids understand that most people think I need resources. No, you need to be resourceful. And kids know that. And when you're resourceful, you'll find the resources. And we found it. And um, LSD was my first one. Put it on my tongue, sat there. I'm like, okay. 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 But at that time, at a young age, I'm like, oh my God, I'm tripping out. Instead of being like, oh my God, I'm seeing reality for what it is. And mm. there's so much here that I'm actually, I've taken away the veil and I'm so interconnected. Well, I think that's a big difference that most people realize when they, when they experiment with psychedelics in a party sense or in a group setting or in nature when you're younger. It's just this whole like, oh, this is so much fun or it could be scary also if you have a bad trip. Um, but then... A lot of people later in life go back in it with a different intention. Like I'm here for self exploration. I want to learn more about life and myself. It's a whole different um, ball game. So you went down to Peru uh, recently, in the last few years. So I went to Peru, and um, I've always been interested in, um, in ayahuasca. So I went down to Peru to the Amazon, and it was a two week ayahuasca retreat. And this was no phones proper diet um you're just living within the amazon with a group group of people and it was phenomenal mm. absolutely phenomenal life-changing life enhancing <laughs> what, what's one your one single takeaway was there one realization about life or yourself that you had on, on that trip anything that stands out it's funny because there, there's a lot but it's it's the simple realization of Everything that you want to do and achieve in life, you can if you get out of your own way. That's going to be your new slogan. Aaron Fisher, get out of your own way. Right? Podcast number whatever. Instead of like on a car, get out of your own way. Instead of like, get out of my way. But it's true. It's, it's yeah. In life, it's, it's all it is. It's like everything that you want, you can do if you just literally get out of your own way. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't do this. Well, have you tried? No. Then why can't you? You can do anything. You can do anything that you want. And I don't believe in the saying that fake it till you make it, because that's not true. Believe it until you achieve it. That's completely different. Mm-hmm. I like that. So ayahuasca, she showed that to me. And the funny thing is I would sit there and I'm like, now that I'm connected, I'm like, all right, mother, show me my future and show me this. And she's like, no. She goes, you know what it is. What do you want me to do? Stroke your ego, tell you you're going to be these things? She's like, you can do it. You know you can do it. So just... Do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for putting me in my place. Got, um, some, got some work to do. Yeah, get back and go to work. Cool. So that's what she taught me. And that's what I learned. And, you know, when Copper 80, it's one company, but there's also the other companies that working with. And it's literally like working with individuals in every day. And it's just reminding them. It's like giving them glasses to see their own worth, their own value, their own greatness. It's like at some point you became so blind to how amazing you are Mm -hmm. that sometimes we just need somebody to be there, not to tell us, but to remind us of everything that we already encompass inside. Mm -hmm. Cool. I love that. All right. So a couple more questions just to wrap up. Um, So like... Do you read now? You said that as you're younger, you're uh, dyslexic. Is reading a thing that you do, or do you avoid books like the plague? So the books are my trophies. Okay. So now it's like um, every time I read a book, I put it on my shelf, and it's my trophies. So what's your most impactful book you've ever read? Most impactful in your life? The thing is, uh, that's it's such a hard question. Um, I've I've read so many books, you know. I, I believe that, you know, The Alchemist was one of my favorite books just out there. The way that it was, like, the way that it was written was so simple. Did I tell you my Burning Man story about The Alchemist? No. Oh, okay. We have, we have to talk about that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It'll be on, it'll be, have a podcast of its own, but <laughs> I was just talking about The Alchemist last night, and it's funny you bring that up. There's something, what, what about The Alchemist to you was it? The Alchemist to me was basically, when I read that book, I had just gone through the exact same experience that was outlined in the book. And I had never read the book before. But huh. many people had mentioned to me, and the way it came into my possession was at that exact time when I had just gone through 
like like it's scary how exactly word for word it was. And it was telling me that, you know, I'm 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 seeking externally a lot from these experiences because I love experiences, but I have so much treasure where I am that I have to really focus on and 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 be present to, you know. So I'm not seeking where I'm still going experiencing, but I'm not like searching. It's like going with the flow, being open to experiences, but not intentionally trying. Because that's what got me to a really challenging place, just like in The Alchemist. Um, but yeah, it was just like crazy story, just crazy synchronicity. Weird things happened, but it was like when I read the book, it's like, oh my God, this just happened. This week was like boom, 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 boom. I read The Alchemist in one day on a, fl- on a flight home from San Francisco. You know what? It's, it's funny because that's exactly what I did. Well, mm-hmm. not from San Francisco, but I opened that book and I closed it and I'm like, I'm finished it mm-hmm. and then I read Siddhartha yeah, that's S- a great book. Siddhartha taught me a lot about the fact that learn it, it's like uh, what is it Picasso that came up with it learn the rules so you can break them mm. every great person there was like this from it doesn't matter what spiritual person was they were born into a society where they tried to teach them their rules they learned it they understood that wasn't for them and then they created their own thing mm-hmm. And that's what Siddhartha was. And then just understanding the simplicity of just the flowing water, of the things that are around you. Everything is there that you need when you take a moment, you take a breath, but you experience your life. Mm, Beautiful. Awesome. Um, Second last question. Any gadgets or apps that you use that really are a game changer for you in your life, whether it's something on your phone for your social media whether it's an app or anything gadget or tech related that is a game changer for you in the day to day it's a really good question I I'm probably not the best person to ask this question because I try and stay away like work I need to use my phone and stuff so is there any app in your phone that helps with your productivity is there anything around those lines that, that you'd say so for running is Strava. Strava is my favorite running app because it, it actually builds a nice community. Um, for when it comes to work, um, any apps, there's, there's no apps because I'm very old school. I like to write things down. Mm-hmm. I believe in the feeling of writing and things like that. So for me, it would just be running for Strava. Um, I try to download meditation apps but my belief in life is very much that I don't ever want to rely on something. I want to do it to myself. So it's like, I don't want to meditate with songs and music and stuff like that because, well, what happens if I'm in a place where that it's not there? Mm-hmm. Then I've created an, um, an attachment to something that I never needed. Yeah. So that's why um, I'm a very, I'm, I'm a min- minimalist when it comes to all cool. this stuff. Cool. Okay. Yes. Sounds good. Okay, so last question. Is there anything that I didn't ask that you wished I'd asked you? It's a good question. <laughs> Could be something you just want to share, something, uh, anything. Um, I, I, to be honest, I, I believe that you did ask a lot of great questions and it was just a really nice flow. I, once again, I really appreciate your time mm-hmm. with this. Um, the only thing was is just the, the realization of what emotions are. Um, we, we talked about this before, and my belief in emotions are feel the feels. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we don't allow ourselves to feel the emotions, and we want to put up a dam, and that we kind of stop the flow of emotions to come, and then eventually leaks happen, and we're like, what's wrong with me? And then a dam happens, and you're like, why am I so depressed? Every emotion and every feeling and everything that we have is all part of the spectrum of who we are. If we are a prism, we are white. Our emotions are the colors that create the rainbow, that create the light of the, uni- of, of the earth, of the universe, of everything. What we are is extremely beautiful. When we embrace every aspect of us, we don't find what's wrong, we find what's right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we are so addicted to one emotion versus another. I need another hit of happiness, man. I need another hit of happiness. No, man, I, I can't do any more of that sadness stuff. Or like, oh, I need more sadness. It's just like... Yeah, yeah. We, we were talking about this earlier. And it's like, people are so afraid of change that, you know, they'll stay in a bad emotion because it's safe. Exactly. Because Well, they, they're afraid of what could be worse because the brain is like, you're surviving right now. You are not dying. So 
let's keep it. But most people will string that out until they're pretty much dying. It's also the idea is like, what state are you the most addicted to right now? Mm. Because sometimes the person, the drug dealer that's giving you what you want is trying to make you feel comfortable so you keep on coming back. Mm. Be comfortable with it all, the spectrum of it all. The way that we are as humans is very simple. We are perfect the way we are. The reason why is because perfection talks about possibilities. The fact that we are humans and we have an infinite amount of possibilities creates that perfect. That's why we, we, we live in a perfect universe mm -hmm. because there's possibilities, endless possibilities. So what you think your flaws are are actually what make you perfect. Mm. What you think that is wrong with you is actually what makes you perfect. You have the choice to become whatever you want. But you also, the thing about life is we're in a prison cell, some of us, where the door is open and yet we're looking at the other wall being like, how can I get out of here? Mm. Or sometimes we're holding the key being like, how do I get out of here? So last question. All right. <laughs> <laughs> where can people get a hold of you? they want to get in touch. So if anybody wants to get a hold of me, you can get on to the easiest one is my Instagram, which is the awakening self. Um, feel free to send me messages, DM me, whatever it is you want through there. You'll have my links to the YouTube channel and the podcast that I've done and whatnot, but that would be the best way. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you for being here. I really appreciate you, man. Just give me one thing you're grateful for before we go. Just for, just this moment. Mm -hmm. um, right. Just very grateful to, to spend this time with you and have awesome. this moment yeah. to connect, to, to, to share our experiences and love. And, you know, I think that is what comes to my mind for what I'm grateful awesome. for right now. Yeah, and I'm grateful for you too. Even Thanks, the friendship and just the support coming through here, sharing it. So I really appreciate that. Okay, guys, check out Aaron. He's an awesome guy doing cool things. And uh, like, subscribe, follow this podcast, share with your friends, and we'll see you soon. Peace.